0: You know, I used to say I got in the business when "harass" was two words instead of one, <laughs> and, and 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 I do think it's it's changed a lot for the better. Somebody got to cue me, or do I cue myself? Cue
1: yourself. Okay. Hey, everybody! It's another episode of Let's Talk Off Camera. So let's get talking today. We have the one and only Katie Couric here. <laughs> Before we get to Katie, I want to say hi to Albert and Jan. Hi, Albert, Jan. Very excited about today. I know, and <laughs> I want to I want to get to her right away. But we have to discuss Succession because yes. I haven't seen you since the last episode. Jan, are you caught up?
2: I'm I'm one behind right now. I'm one uh, behind. I know. I know. I. L- it was a long week. It uh, a long
1: yes, week it was a long week. We had a very long week.
2: Yeah, it's. Unbelievable. I'm so sad this thing is ending.
1: Uh, Me too. I'm in denial. And we were shooting a game show. Oh, yes. uh, And we were working in the production offices of where they shot Succession. So we felt Succession adjacent. Mm -hmm. And we all took turns standing in front of that paper succession sign your mark on the floor was probably where brian cox was pacing around the the newsroom probably (laughs) probably i mean that's how that's what i channeled when i was hosting the fun family did you
2: see he just got cast in a reality show where he's a competition show it's a competition show like a 007 mission show where he's the one giving out the missions
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, I that's know. genius! That's great. I, know. I hope he is getting a shit ton of money for that. <laughs> I really do. You know this this Succession, uh, and I'm curious if Katie watches Succession, but um, it's loosely based on the Murdoch family. Yeah, and. You know, I, I I don't know anything about the Murdochs at all. I just know Wendy Murdoch, who is a good time Charlie, if ever there was <laughs> one. But you said you went to school with yes. a, a Murdoch. Which one? I
2: went to school with James Murdoch. We went to Horace Mann together. I went to high school with him. So it was wow. like 1988 to 91. Okay. He was – and I guess Kendall is based on him. Okay. Um, he was super smart and – It was fascinating. Like, we never saw his parents, ever. There was never a hint of his parents. But he would get dropped off and picked up in a beat-up station wagon every day to school. Like, you had no – he dressed like a bomb. Like, he was like – it was the time where grungy clothes was in style. Right, we all
1: dressed like You just had no
2: sense that he was anything – you know, that his family had all this money. We knew because we would go to his house, which overlooked the Guggenheim Museum. Oh, my God. You know? oh did you go there to like get stoned and stuff? <laughs> we went there for a birthday party. I mean, it was spectacular. Right. But you just, he just wasn't that guy. He was just right. so he was he was a bit of an introvert. So it's funny that Kendall's based on him because I don't know much about what happened to him post-high school, but I'm assuming a lot of that had to be post-high school. And where is he in the in the chain, in the food chain? He's actually the younger son, because Lachlan's older. Okay. He was the youngest one. He went to Harvard. He ended up dropping out to start like this music label with some of his high school friends.
0: Oh just yeah. like well, Ruckus,
2: Ruckus Records I think it was called Ruckus Records yeah oh my god I think Lord. that's what it was called
0: um, Kelly well, you have to okay. watch the documentary series about the Murdochs um, <laughs> oh uh,
2: on so, CNN yeah, yeah
0: so you can yeah. learn all about them yes I'm obsessed with the succession I watch it <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I love hating. it although I have to say I'm, I'm ready for it to end I feel like none of the characters have any redeeming qualities really their grotesqueness is starting to get to me And their materialism and their sort of lack of any kind of moral compass, like, I don't know, I feel like I need to take a shower sometimes after I watch the show. (laughs) Having said that, I think it's brilliant. I love Frank Rich, who's the executive producer. Of course, you know Frank, I'm sure, Kelly. And hi, Albert. I've never met you, Albert, Uh, but I just want to say Hi. Okay. And, um, so, but that was, anyway, that was
1: Katie Couric. That was Katie Couric. Everybody, I mean. she's our guest today. I, you know, I've got a hell of an intro for you. You do. Okay. Oh, don't bother. Do.
0: Honestly, Kelly. No, don't I want to
1: do. I want to do no, it. You I want to. I want to get. Listen to this. She's not like me with the Soap Opera Digest Award. Okay. <laughs> she's won. Oh, I wish I'd won a one of Dupont those. Columbia Award. Wow. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds pretty major. I'm going to light your fake cigarette. A Peabody, <laughs> two Edward R. Murrow awards. Let wow. me. <sighs> I'm taking a drag on my fake cigarette. <laughs> a Walter Cronkite award, a Cronky as I like to call them. A Multiple Emmy awards. She was twice named Time Magazine's 100 most influential people. She's won the Glamour Magazine Woman of the Year three times. Wow. She's received. Too many awards to count for her cancer advocacy work, which I believe Amazing. is her most important work. She was honored by both the Harvard and Columbia schools of public health. I, I, it goes on and on, oh. but she's
0: chomping at the bit. <laughs> She's chopping so at the bits. Sweet. Lets I am so embarrassed. Like, I need to no, shorten no, no. my bio because it's so <laughs> mortifying. This is
1: a one page tear sheet. I just zeroed in on the accolades because I like trophies. And I'm curious what does a Peabody and an Edward R. Murrow Award
0: <laughs> look like? Let's see. Um, a Peabody is a coin that okay. has George Foster Peabody's name on it. I got that for my work on colon cancer awareness when I was at the Today Show, and that was incredibly meaningful. The DuPont was for my Sarah Palin interview, and that's kind of a baton. That's sort of a circular silver thing that I have somewhere. It was special because the researcher, producer, Brian Goldsmith, who really helped me with my Sarah Palin preparation work and the interview itself, we worked. For several days in the library in my apartment, it was painted red. This is my old apartment. We called it the Red Room of Pain. And we were working our asses (laughs) off. And then I got a DuPont. And so I got one for Brian too. And I think I gave it to him as a wedding present, which was really nice. I think the ones that have met the most to me, as as you can imagine, are my awards from like, I think I got a big award from the American mm-hmm. Cancer Society quite a while ago. It was a very fancy to do. And then I also got those awards from those we, schools of public health. And You got the awards for the American Cancer Society and the American Association of Cancer
1: Research. Yes, yes. And in, we work in very In addition closely. to the Harvard and Columbia. Yeah. I mean, it's like you really, nobody does more to spread awareness about cancer, cancer research and cancer fundraising than you. Well, no, you know, I mean, that amazing.
0: is, I think you would have done the same thing. You know, Kelly, if you lose someone very close to you, mm-hmm. you love, and uh, I lost my husband is of course- Some of your listeners may remember when he was just 42 in in 1998, I think. Before that, I did all sorts of events, and I'm sure you do too, Kelly, because there's Mm -hmm. so many important causes, and I'd be asked to emcee this, or do this, or do a panel, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, after I experienced those nine months of Jay's illness and his subsequent death, and then my sister just a couple years later uh, was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, I mean, I found that I could not focus my time and energy on anything else but educating people about cancer prevention and then raising funds for cancer research because I think a person is diagnosed with cancer every single minute in this country. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's such a vexing disease, and it's such a panoply of diseases. You know, it's not one disease. It's so many different diseases and so many different biologies. So the idea that I've contributed in some way, shape, or form to awareness, to cancer research with Stand Up to Cancer and with my colon cancer work, um, it is so gratifying for me. So those awards have been particularly special because they honored my my husband and my sister more than me really.
1: You know, I'm thinking about you. You had two little girls at the time. You have this young husband then to lose your sister. And then gosh, I saw you last summer and you sort of whispered in my ear at this event that you had just been diagnosed with breast cancer and you had just had surgery like that day. And I couldn't believe that you were at this event.
0: I I don't think it was that day, but it must have been maybe just a week or so afterwards. I didn't, by the way, do that to many people. I don't know, Kelly, what you do to me, but I I had this overwhelming desire to tell you. I don't know why. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I just said, hey, I just had a lumpectomy. And, you know, I was actually pretty uncomfortable at that at that party. And I know um, it was sort of hot. And I had this scar under my arm where they had removed some lymph nodes. And um, yeah, that was crazy. That was that was a crazy experience. I was diagnosed on my anniversary to my husband, John, it was June twenty first, And the doctor called and said, Yeah, you know, it's cancer. But she assured me right away, you're going to be fine. We're going to remove it. And she was pretty optimistic from the get-go, I think, just from where mm-hmm. the cancer was located, how big the tumor was, that it was manageable and treatable and, in fact, curable. And I was just so grateful that, that it was detected so early because I know better than anyone what happens when cancer isn't detected early. That is when it becomes such a difficult battle. And I saw that firsthand with Jay and Emily. So I just felt, thank God I have access to good health care. Thank God that I got an ultrasound in addition to a mammogram because I have dense breasts, like 45% of women, 40 and over. And often a mammogram isn't sufficient for detecting any kind of abnormality. So honestly, I was just, I was so grateful and appreciative. And I know so well, Kelly, that it, that's not the case for so many people. And I lived it and I think about them all the time.
1: It's interesting on two fronts because number one, I also have to get sonogrammed every time I get a mammogram because I too, with my, I like to call them my 32 double A longs, as <laughs> tiny and as insignificant as, as my that's painting a picture are,
0: I cannot unsee. That, yeah, they actually
1: said to me, they're like, you have dense breast tissue, and I said how is that possible? I don't even have tissue. I mean, forget <laughs> dense, you know, but apparently it size doesn't matter when it comes to the density of your breast
0: tissue. No, it's true. And one of the exciting things for me with my experience is I've been able to educate the public about this, because I think women's health is often neglected. And, you know, there's a long history of that and women not being included in clinical trials, etc, etc. And, and there was just such little awareness of the issue of dense breasts. So I'm really happy that I've been able to take my own experience, which is just I think my natural go to coping mechanism. Because, You know, when when you have the potential to arm people with information, and I know you feel the same way, Kelly, that could potentially save their lives. I mean, it's an awesome responsibility, but it's also an incredibly powerful and important thing that you can be doing. And talk about purpose, you know? Yeah. I'm wondering how many people have come up to you personally and
1: said, you know, because of you, I went and I got screened and I found out that I had cancer and I was able to catch it in time and I was able to treat
0: it in time. I'm sure too many to count. A lot of people come up to me or they'll cry or they'll write to me on Instagram. And it's, I can't even explain the feeling I get when someone says that because I don't want to necessarily be the recipient of their gratitude or I don't want to be thanked. I just am so thrilled That they're healthy and they're gonna be there for their families in a way that Jay couldn't, in a way that Emily couldn't, in a way that so many people have not been able to. So You've normalized the language around cancer discussions, truthfully. You know, I say to people, hey, you know, it's like that children's book, Everybody Poops. It's like, you know, it's it's just part Mm -hmm. of our biology. We have to take care of our entire bodies. And, you know, in the 50s, they wouldn't say breast cancer publicly. I often tell this story from the Emperor of All Maladies, which is by a doctor Mm -hmm. named Siddhartha Mukherjee and in the 50s women were looking for a support group for people with breast cancer and they put an ad in the paper and i think the new york times i believe it was said they had to say cancer of the chest cavity because they couldn't say breast cancer in the paper so you see how right? how, I mean, how stigmatized yeah. it's been yeah. and how people feel so uncomfortable talking about it it's you make it palatable
1: Katie, whether it's your podcast or when you were on the Today Show, I felt like I could understand actually what you were talking about. Well, that's a real
0: compliment because that's that's the goal, right?
1: Yeah, it is, and and it makes it less scary. Now I know that Albert is chomping at the bit because he and I are both Italian. I don't know if you have any Italian. I in don't, UK, unfortunately. Do you? I, I don't. wish I did. Okay, so Albert would say, oh, three three cancers." Or as you know, you read my book, my mom doesn't use the word cancer. She calls it you know what. Yeah. So (laughs) if you get three you know what's in your family, then some you have to get the bad eye off
0: of you. Oh. So if you
1: want, we can come over and if you you all want to do
0: it, please. I mean, I have an evil eye bracelet that a friend of mine gave me. I should probably wear that. Wear that for now but then albert he's going to send his yeah. cousin vito father the priest vito. father vito will come over <laughs> he's a real okay, priest okay good yeah. well albert you have an open invitation
1: <laughs> <laughs> i, I want to pivot i want to pivot for a second because you have been in the just ruthless business oh
0: my god not as ruthless broadcast. as it is now
1: <laughs> it's blood sport i want to talk about the recent firings that just happened sure. i mean literally, it seemed to take both Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon by surprise. In your
0: experience, is it really a surprise? Are people blindsided by firings? It depends on the circumstances. I don't think you can necessarily make a generalization. I think probably Tucker was more surprised than Don, I'm just surmising this. I, you know, I have no insider information. I pretty much know Kelly, Albert, and Jan. <laughs> Everything that you <laughs> all right. have read, I have read, and um, I think there was probably more embarrassing things that would come out. Apparently, some some pretty gross communiques between uh, yeah. Tucker Carlson and some of his co-workers. And, you know, I did do an interview with a friend of ours named John Ellis. And John used to work for Fox News. He happened to marry John and I. And so I interviewed him. And he said, you know, the anchors had outsized influence. And I said, it sounds like the inmates were running the asylum. Nobody was really pushing back on the anchors. And they had these little fiefdoms. And I guess Tucker had the biggest fiefdom of them all because he got the highest ratings and he was sort of even compared to Sean Hannity, I think, you know, becoming a bigger star. And maybe they just wanted to send a message that, you know, there are certain things that they have to follow. And I I wonder if if the head of Fox News, Suzanne Scott, and other anchors who perpetuated these lies— They were just lying to their viewers. I mean, it's really gross. But I do imagine that the audience, as John said, the audience is programming Fox News, not the other way around. And so they were so craven and so desperate for ratings and so desperate for holding on to viewers, that they sold their souls. And whether Tucker Carlson, if you're repeating, you know, these venomous lies, I don't know. Do you start absorbing that? Do you start becoming that? Do you start believing it? And I don't know, but... I hope, you know, getting back to succession and the real Murdoch family, you know, when Rupert Murdoch Mm -hmm. dies, and he will, even though he doesn't think so, at some point, his children, I think, will decide the fate of Fox News. I don't know exactly how it will work. But when you have Lachlan, I mean, he's like a younger version of his dad. But when you have James Mm. and Liz and you have Prudence, they'll have an equal say in the future of Fox News. And Old-fashioned news where you didn't give your opinion, where you just gave the information, is that even a viable business model anymore? And has Trump changed it? You know, when you have a president who's also perpetuating those lies, how do you not call him out without being called biased by the other side? It's a very complicated conundrum journalists are finding themselves in these days. Let me let me take you back
1: in time. Do you remember when you and I went to Donald Trump's wedding? yes. And do you remember that you had the greatest purse of all time? She had Katie had a purse that had a built-in like it was a purse that had a hidden camera in Stop. it. And so Katie could film people coming and going. Oh and at one point I had a better vantage point of something and you threw me the bag and you were like, Shaquille O'Neal's walking in, get his entrance. <laughs> and I'm
0: holding it like it's a camera oh, and you're like, just hold God. it like it's a purse. Do you remember? <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. Why I did it. I just idea. thought it was so great funny. Idea. And I felt like a, you know, international woman of mystery. And so, mystery. yeah, I, I think it got confiscated. Ultimately, my purse cam oh, got confiscated. Really? Oh, no. I also brought it to the Oscar party. I don't know. I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> I guess I was bored or something. And I just thought it I would had be so, so much funny. much fun. It was
1: great. It was so great. You know, I promised my audience uh, that I would steal something from the Trump wedding and bring it on the air. Did you? You know, I promised my audience that I would steal something from the Trump wedding and bring it on the air. I put all of my cutlery, like my gold gilded cutlery, and I wrapped it in the napkin. And then I displayed it on the air on Monday.
0: That is so funny. Thinking
1: if, you know, Donald Trump has a problem, he'll like, Regis will fly it back to him the next time he's at Mar-a-Lago or something.
0: I remember that wedding being really boring.
1: Yeah, it was. It was so boring. It was so boring. Nobody
0: danced. Nobody danced. I thought the ceremony was beautiful. I mean, the church I remember being really pretty. Yeah, and she was Melania really was Melania was, was breathtaking really, like, and regal looking. But yeah, but I remember feeling like this just is not a fun wedding. No, there was no like. The, uh, where's the DJ? What's happening? Where's <laughs> the music?
1: Yeah, and there were so many famous people there. It was like so interesting to me to see like. The diversity of the guest list, let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm trying you to remember. Can you had your daytime division. Who was there? I remember Heidi Klum was there. Simon Cowell was there. Hillary oh, Clinton was um, there. Hillary Clinton was there. Was Bill Clinton <laughs> there? Um, Bill Clinton was there. Claudia Cohen was there because she took me over to meet um, Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm she would say do you want to meet so and so and i would say yes and i thought she knew them but then i realized that she was like a conduit to also meeting them at this like <laughs> she, she was kind of like using, using you as using chum. me yes as chum that's yeah so that's how we handled that but i remember we were talking about the insurrection. And, you know, we don't really cover politics. We try to present more of a programming that's more fun and like a relief from all of the news our viewers at home
0: had just. And I think ensued. people really probably appreciate that because they it's just so they ubiquitous, you yeah. know.
1: It's true. And a bunch of like trolls came onto my social media and they were like, weren't you at Trump's wedding? People are so,
0: so. Weird. I mean, let's they're be honest. So People weird. are so they're the weirdest. Weird. I went to uh, <laughs> and I wrote about this in my book, Kelly, as you know. You know, I went I was invited by Peggy Siegel, who is a well known mm-hmm. publicist. She said, Do you want to go to have dinner at the largest single family home in Manhattan? I thought, Wow, that sounds interesting. She said George you Stephanopoulos is coming and it's mm-hmm. a dinner in honor of Prince Andrew. Well. Wow anyway who's not the, going to the that? wedding of kate and william was going to be that spring and i'm like of course my competitive juices start flowing i'm like wait i don't want george stephanopoulos to be schmoozing with prince andrew i need to be there because i was <laughs> right, CBS right, right. at at yeah, the course. time right like of i want course. an interview with prince andrew so yeah i i went uh she told me at the last minute that it was jeffrey epstein i remember googling him and seeing something about a plea bargain in Florida, and I thought that's that's sort of sketchy. But obviously, you know, it had not been revealed what a sick, demented person he was. And I went and I had dinner and I left. And I still get people on Twitter and Instagram like, "Well, you're best friends with Jeffrey Epstein," and I'm like, yeah, oh. "I'm so just like, shut crazy. up, shut, shut up. up." I wish I could be. I wish I could slap back the way my husband does, because like, he just does not care. But of course, I care. And I, you know, I I care a little less than I used to what people think of me. But I wish I could just be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Go away. But I also I try to mind my manners. (laughs) I guess I've been taught to be a good girl, haven't we all? Even on social media, when people deserve to just be told, like, you're an idiot, go away and go back to your sewer, you creep. (laughs) <laughs> right. It's funny.
1: I used to um, clap back and I was like quite brilliant at it. I, I bet I, you were. Not to brag. I'm can you be good my clapper? I can. I'm, <laughs> I'm a great advocate for other people. But then I read this article. They say that real people, not bots, who leave negative comments on social media, not like I didn't like this or I didn't like that, but people who say insane distorted, mm-hmm. um, hurtful, angry things on social media have something that's known as a dark triad personality. And it's literally people that are spewing what they detest in themselves at you. Mm. And once I once I was like,
0: okay, I better stop clapping back because maybe i Well, no, I'm that's true because I know no, people- I'm revealing too much of myself. No, it's true. And I do think like uh, people with certain- psychological disorders actually thrive on negative feedback too, or even Mm -hmm. on any feedback, it actually fuels them. So I've had people in my life, yeah, that I've been told the best way is to completely ignore that negative force because, you know, it doesn't provide the gas to keep them going on whatever strange trip they're on.
1: Right. I I just want to talk quickly about, um, you cover this somewhat in your number one New York Times bestseller (laughs) going there. Um, Can't say it enough. Uh, It's being a woman in the entertainment industry. And I want to know how much you've seen change and what you've seen, unfortunately, stay the same in the years that you've been in the game.
0: Gosh, well, you know, I used to say I got in the business when "harass" was two words instead of one, and, <laughs> and 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 I do think I do think it's it's changed a lot for the better. You know, I graduated from college in 1979, so that's when I started working in television. Mm-hmm. There are many more women; they have climbed the ladder. There are more women behind the scenes, in executive positions. I do think there's power in numbers. You know, when I was on the Today Show, I remember when I was writing my book, I would look at a photo, and it would be me, Gene Shalit, Willard Scott, Brian Gumbel, and Matt Lauer. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, there just weren't that many positions for women. And now I think there are many more. And I think that there's a realization that Oftentimes the audience is largely female, and that, of course, you think that uh, something like Me Too would change everything because it was the Wild West for so many years. And I think the kinds of things that went on behind the scenes, um, it was just kind of accepted behavior by a lot of people in the business. I went to the Olympics to Lake Placid when I was a desk assistant for ABC News Mm -hmm. and thinking, wow, this is, you know, a little Sodom and Gomorrah-ish or gonorrhea-ish. I mean, it was just very, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just the kind of things that were going on behind the scenes. For better, for worse, I think for better, actually, it's just never been the way I've rolled. I don't want to dip my pen in the proverbial company ink. I, I like to have friendships and relationships, but, you know, I just have always kept that separation. Between the mm-hmm. personal and the professional.
1: And, and it's really interesting because um, I, I have to get your thoughts on this uh, NBC Universal CEO, Jeff Shell. Did you know him? You must have worked I with knew, him. I and- No,
0: you know, he, he became the CEO, I believe, of NBC Universal in 2020. I had met him. Oh, wow. I had met him. I saw him. Uh, recently at um, what is Mm -hmm. the well-known restaurant where all the celebrities go, Kelly in L.A.? Uh, Craig's. I saw him recently at Craig's. I was with some friends, and he was very pleasant. And honestly, that that was stunning to me. That's, first of all, that he didn't apologize to his family in a statement. That really made me sad. Like, after all that's happened, like, what? I, I just... I just don't get it. And, you know, I was talking to Frank Sesno, and he's like, men are slow learners. But I'm like, oh, come on, give me a yeah. break. It's just, it's it's so self-destructive, that behavior. And even yeah. when I think of a TJ, is it TJ Holmes, right? The Yeah, yeah I was the, going to ask you about the TJ guy, Holmes and
1: Amy Robot. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't, like, is it worth it? Or comport yourself in a way that if you want to get involved, get divorced, go to your superiors, like, do the right mm-hmm. thing for your career and for your personal situation. You know, I don't know TJ. I know Amy a little bit, and I think she seems really nice and really talented. Yeah, she's great. And yeah. mm-hmm. you know, what is what do they say? The heart wants what the heart wants, or whatever that expression is. But it's it's just so strange. You know, I mean, now I'm working with Mark, so
1: it can uh, it's conceptually I understand how these things happen because I met Mark at work. Right. That's how we met. We were working on a soap opera together. I
0: I remember.
1: And and you and your husband worked together at Katie Couric Media. Um, But I think there is something different about a person in a position of... Prominence and power and a subordinate. I oh, think of that's course. A very I think I mean I
0: think that's thing. something we learned as a result of women coming forward. You know, the definition of consensual has changed. Even if they're two willing participants, if there's a power imbalance, who's to say it's truly consensual? Who's to say there isn't some kind of pressure? Or fear, fear of retribution. Fear exactly, and all kinds of things. Or in some cases, you know, a desire to advance. You know, I think they're all different situations but mm-hmm. clearly someone in a position of power cannot be involved in a sexual relationship with someone whose fate depends on said person and so that's why I was just so shocked that that Jeff Shell would do this and what is it is it kind of the power dynamic are they so surrounded with yes people they think the rules don't apply to them you know it is hard it's very heady mm-hmm. being in an industry and and being a quote-unquote celebrity, whatever that means, and a public figure. And it does do weird things to your head. And you have got to kind of remind yourself that, you know, you put your pants on the same way as everyone else and, you know, all those other things. But it just amazes me that a powerful executive like that would be so dumb. Hasn't learned from these recent... Just be so stupid and, and reckless. I think reckless is the word. You can see how it happens, but I think you have to be smart and disciplined and know that unless you tell your supervisor and unless you're not a direct report, that having a relationship with a colleague isn't cool. I agree with you. Um,
1: Jan is telling me, because I've not been on social media yet today, um, but she's telling me that there's a rumor that you're going to take that hour. Oh my God.
0: That, uh, that
2: is so that, it was uh, on such... the radio. It was on the radio this morning when I was driving. Oh, in. come on.
0: So this shows you, Jan, this is so funny because it's absolutely rubbish. I mean, the fact that a radio station is repeating a British tabloid that is based on absolutely nothing shows you what's happened to media today, not to everyone. Obviously, there are a lot of oh, incredibly no, but it's, it's, talented and ethical journalists out there, but it can just take on a life of its own. And it's it does so take on a life of its frustrating. Own. And I told that story yeah. in my book that Women's Wear Daily, the gossip column said that I this was like, gosh, 15 years ago that I had had a laparoscopic yeah. brow lift. I didn't even know what that was. And right. they called me and I said to the I don't p- know what that is, I, and I'm pro-plastic surgery. And I, I don't said know it what to what the PR person, I said, that's completely false. It's just not true. I don't even, you know, it's just not true. And right. uh they printed it anyway. Next thing you know, it's everywhere. It was so infuriating to me because it just showed such a maybe not malice, but a reckless disregard for the truth. And, you know, it was a dumb thing. I, I think I actually because my late husband was a lawyer at Williams and Conley in Washington. And I think I called one of his friends and I said, you know, just on principle, kind of like Gwyneth Paltrow took that guy to trial, but just on principle, Mm -hmm. can you just write a letter to this publication and tell them that this is bullshit and I demand a retraction? So they called Mm -hmm. me and they said, they still insisted that they were right. Like, I'm like, what? You're telling me It's so maddening. So I remember the correction being I wanted to not take it too seriously because the whole thing was really just ridiculous. And I said I could think of a couple of things that could use lifting, and my forehead isn't one of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, no, it's not true. Well, let me ask you this. We talked about succession. Did you watch the morning show?
0: Before we sign off, do you watch The Morning Show? Does everybody (laughs) ask you that? I do watch The Morning Show because obviously I'm curious and and it's been interesting for me to watch. I mean, hard that first season where clearly Steve Carell played Matt. I think they had to Mm -hmm. rewrite the whole thing when that happened. And, you know, I remember using the word disgusted to talk about Matt's behavior and I think my overwhelming emotion is I'm just so disappointed and so sad, and mm-hmm. you know on a human level, you know it it it's hard to see someone as Andy Lack told me when Matt was fired go from hero to zero, and yep. um that that's yep. hard to witness. I think people just relish watching people fall from grace and you know, there's also a certain sadness, you know, maybe you don't like Tucker Carlson, maybe you don't like Don Lemon. And I think in Tucker's case, he's, you know, to lie to the public is beyond, uh, I think you can't really be rehabilitated from that. But, you know, I don't think anybody should take a lot of joy in seeing people's downfall. I I feel the same way you do. I
1: don't, I do not relish in people's failures it is not my
0: brand right but the morning show sorry i kind of i kind of got off track but the morning show i think has been interesting to watch um you know, I don't think I'm a character. I guess some people think I'm Jennifer Aniston. I would I'd like yeah. to be Jennifer. I'd like to look like Jennifer well, I was Aniston. Does ask you, in like, jeans. Did Jennifer Aniston call like did she call you? Like, no, say, no. Katie, tell me what's it like? I think she might be a compilation, but I find it just interesting the way they deal with covering certain stories, the kind of atmosphere of the newsroom and the control room, the personalities. I find it interesting. Yeah. I think um, they probably would have been well served to have a consultant who actually worked at a morning show, um, you know, but because I think some things they get and some things I think are, are quite off tonally. Yes. But, right. um, yep. you know, it's been interesting and I think people are fascinated. They're fascinated with pulling the curtain back and seeing that world and, you uh,
2: it's a fascinating so, world. And so, you know,
0: I, I do watch it and I'll, I'll continue to watch it. But I, you know, I, I get addicted to all kinds of shows. I just finished um, the, the Last of Us. Oh, The Last of Us. I can't watch it. It scares me too much. I thought that was, I excellent. can't. I, I tell you, if you watch episode three, I think that was one of the most beautiful pieces of television I've seen in a long time. It is written it's and supposed to acted be incredible, yeah. so masterfully. I really think even if you don't watch the whole series, watch that because it's it's worth your time. Okay, I will. And then you need to watch Barry. Oh, I know. I love Bill Hader and he's back together with Ali Wong. I didn't even know they were a couple. I but I've never have to watched watch Barry. Barry. I've been watching Beef. I've been watching Beef, which is very Beef weird. Beef
1: is excellent. It's excellent. But watch Barry. They're short episodes. You can watch all... I think this is the fourth and final season. Everything is the fourth and final season. <laughs> I will. Um, i I know out you Barry. have to go. You have to go because literally there's pop-ups, there's text messages. But I want to remind our... Um, podcasters to listen to your podcast called next Next question question. next question which is such a great title for a podcast
0: and also just while we're at it shameless plug if people could go to katiecouric.com because i've got a whole wonderful team of people that we've assembled working very hard to do storytelling, to write pieces. We have a, a daily newsletter Monday through Saturday called Wake Up Call. You can sign up for that. We do a lot of news, a lot of health and wellness, pop culture, interesting stories, and follow me on social media where I also distribute the work that we're doing. And it's been so fun. And I love being the boss of me. Yeah. I love being the boss You're, of me, Kelly. Isn't it great? It's It great, is so right? great. And um I'm really enjoying it. I love working with John. He's so smart and so savvy and he's so great at business, which I am not. And it's been it's been really a fun experience watching him and working with him, even though occasionally we do want to kill each other. How about you and Mark? Do you want to <laughs> kill each other occasionally?
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, but we like – the great thing about our show is when we want to kill each other, we can do it right on TV and it's like a safe (laughs) space for both of us, you know, and usually we'll let the audience in the room – Judge who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> it's good That's television. That's so funny. And, and usually, I've got to tell you, ninety percent would you say they're like, they'll side with me? I don't want to. I don't want to make it ninety percent, but it, it's a very female-heavy audience, you know, and so they get behind me really fast.
0: <laughs> well, you guys are a great couple, and thank um, you. As are you. We, thank you. We should have a dinner. Let's yeah, a dinner. we would have so much fun. Let's do that. Albert nice. and and, and, and Jan. Jan
2: bring the purse with the camera in it so we can oh, that's I
0: a want good to, idea I want to come. bring your camera purse Oh, I don't have it anymore. Who knows where that thing went? I've seen you make a cocktail on Instagram, Katie. I want to come. Yeah. Okay. All right. Albert, you're invited. You can get all the bad juju out of my family.
1: (laughs) We'll bring Father Father Vito. Father Vito is coming too.
0: Jan, you come too.
1: You know, Jan never posts anything on social media, but then you posted her and talked about her reading your book and what a great producer she is, which by the way, she is. I utilize her like she's my own personal <laughs> producer, but she's a producer across all aspects of the live show and my podcast. It's great and when you have
0: a person you can really trust, uh, and you know they'll always uh, do a great job. There's nothing, and you like know it.
1: you see how hard she works. Yes. she
0: is a worker.
1: Yes, yep. But when she posted that on her social media, we all, cause we're monsters, where me. we were, we all reposted it
0: and just said, "Sure, Jan." <laughs> <laughs> I'll post you anytime, Jan.
1: Katie Couric, (laughs) thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. This was so fun. Thank you all. So fun. Thank you.
0: Well, what do you think
1: about that? I mean. That was interesting. We could
2: have done seven
1: hours with Katie Couric. Yeah.
2: There's so much. I just want to know everything. Her book is fascinating. Oh, you have to read her book. Yeah. It's. Both of your books, I thought that they were like roadmaps for women in this business. It gives you like a lot of pitfalls and a mm-hmm. and, and a lot of advice. And I think that the both of them were great in that way. Well,
1: thank you. She, but she's hers is a comprehensive manual in surviving literally everything. I remember watching her on September 11th when we were all terrified. Mm-hmm. We were all terrified, and I went from live. To all my children, and all my children was still shooting. We still shot that day. It was bizarre. People were fleeing the city, then they shut down the bridges, and then people were sort of like wandering around. And after we were done, all my children, we went up to Washington Heights to the De Los Reyes' house, and we sat there with them, with our kids. Lola was a baby, our sons were four years old. We ordered Pizza. I remember we ordered pizza. We were able to get pizza delivered and we just watched the news coverage and I watched Katie Couric on the air for 24 hours, maybe in a row, maybe longer. And I remember thinking, like she has young kids. Knowing what it's like to be a working mom, Jan, and knowing like what it takes to just get out the door in the morning, you know? Yeah. And she's just endlessly impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to make sure that all of our listeners uh, sign up. First of all, follow her on Instagram. Subscribe to her daily newsletter, Wake Up Call. And don't forget to check out her podcast, Next Question. And speaking of podcasts, don't forget to follow us. If you like us, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like us, make sure you give us a five-star review because they also register that. Just, you know, just curse under your breath as you give us a five-star review. <laughs> Let's Talk Off Camera is available every week on all major podcast listening platforms. Can't wait to talk off camera next week. Oh, did I tell you I met that lady and it was like marching through Central Park and she stops and she comes back and says, I'm listening to you right now. I oh, love yes. podcast. Uh. It was very exciting. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> very, very exciting. And the guy in the audience
0: at Generation Gap oh, screamed yeah, out.
1: I know, exactly. It was he so funny when you, when you find people that are listening to your podcast while you're at work and they're like, They're like, oh, I was just listening to you on the subway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's very exciting.
1: All right. That's a good one, guys. That's a wrap. (laughs) Let's Talk Off Camera with Kelly Ripa is a co-production of Melojo Productions and PRX Productions with help from Goat Rodeo. Our theme song is Follow Me from APM Music. From Melojo, our team is Kelly Ripa, Mark Consuelos, Albert Bianchini, Jan Chalet, Devin Schneider, Michael Halpern, Jacob Small, Roz Tharian, Seth Gronquist, and Nick Ribola. From PRX Productions, our team is Kara Schillen, Genevieve Sponsler, Megan Nidolsky, Edwin Ochoa, Rebecca Seidel. Additional sound design by Terence Bernardo. The executive producer of PRX Productions is Jocelyn Gonzalez. This show is powered by Stitcher.